Hey, thanks so much for joining us for this online experience today. Um, I would just say grab your Bible and let's jump in, okay? We're going to turn to the book of Mark, chapter 9. Um, Mark is the second book in the New Testament, sandwiched between Matthew and Luke. And so um, just turn there and uh, we're going to walk through a few verses uh, beginning with verse 16. All right? And before we do, though, I would like to take a second and start out by correcting an error that was on the screen or uh, last weekend. I'm not sure if you caught it, but, uh, but it mistakenly had the wrong uh, baseball team as the best Major League Baseball team. So I'd like to correct this mistake by stating that actually the Los Angeles Dodgers are the best baseball team, not the Giants. So, uh, I mean, what can I say? I, you could disagree with me if you want to be uh, wrong. But, um, I mean, it is what it is. So let's just uh, clear that up right to begin with. And uh, I'm sure that uh, I probably started an argument, but um, you can... You can send your uh, comments about that to uh, Pastor Dave at newlifecc.com. Um, maybe we should just get into the message, okay? Um, today, we're going to continue the summer series. Uh, it's called Questions. And we're looking at questions uh, that are asked in the Bible text. Our questions for today's message comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, and it's asked in the middle of of an argument. Uh, have you all ever experienced arguments in your homes? Believe it or not, it actually even happens in a pastor's home. I know, I know. Hard to believe, but it happens. Uh, there are two very clear signs that everything is not just okay in the Nichols house, that there's something wrong going on. The very first sign is this, silence, right? You ever experienced that where it's too quiet in your house? Um, this is a problem. And, and uh, you, know, you know that somebody is doing something that they shouldn't be doing when it's too quiet. Now, the other sign is the opposite of that when all just, you know what, breaks loose. And uh, the floodgates open up and you're hearing words that you didn't learn in Sunday school. And let's just say it's just not a pretty experience. And in Mark chapter 9, Jesus kind of walks into something that's closer to that second version. He's on his way down from a mountaintop experience. Uh, he'd, he'd wanted some alone time with Peter and James and John, and uh, he was on the mountain. And he figured, like, this is the best place to do this. It's been named the Mount of Transfiguration because when Jesus and the other three disciples got up there. Jesus actually transformed, and he was like glowing like he was on fire. Then Elijah and Moses all of a sudden showed up, and the three disciples were like, oh, this happens every day. I mean, no, no they weren't like that. They were terrified. Um, they were wondering what to do, and, you know, you can always count on Peter. So he's always speaking before thinking, and he suggests, hey, why don't we build some houses for Elijah and Moses? Because, I mean, of course that's what you should do, start a building program uh, in the middle of this mountaintop experience. And 
basically, after that, God just, uh, the Father God speaks from heaven, from a cloud, and he says this. He says, this is my dearly loved son. He's talking about Jesus, of course, and he says this, listen to him. And I have to admit, there's a little part of me that's like, was he talking specifically to Peter? Like, dude, stop talking and just listen, right? Um, Elijah and Moses disappear, and Jesus tells the three disciples to keep it all hush-hush. Maybe he wanted to avoid having another one of those uh, greatest in the kingdom arguments between the disciples. But as they're still talking, and they're hiking down the mountain, Jesus hears a war of words going on. And he sees a crowd of people, including the other nine disciples, and some scribes, they were the, the holier-than-everybody crowd. And, and they were all probably, you know, mocking the disciples for not being able to cast out an evil spirit, which we're going to hear about in a second. And this is where we come to our question for today. In verse 16, Jesus asks, what is all this arguing about? And this is the first of several questions that Jesus is going to ask in these verses. And I wonder if it's a question that God actually asks pretty often. Maybe even in our world today, what is all of this arguing going on? I mean, there's a lot of arguing, right? You got families, workplaces, classrooms, churches, news shows, politicians. We argue about all the isms, right? Racism, sexism, capitalism, socialism, patriotism, agnosticism, atheism, conservatism, liberalism, environmentalism, and whether or not pineapple should be on pizza-isms. We argue about sports, music, cars, money, politics, sex, who takes the best, who makes the best pies, who, who wears the best clothes, who has the best hair. Pastor Dave? Um, sometimes we can get caught up on the issues and forget that God wants us to actually focus on people. On that day, Jesus hears them arguing. What were they arguing about? Let's see if we can find out by reading a couple more verses. It says on uh, verse 17, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I thought my son, I brought my son to you because that you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him down. It throws him violently to the ground. And then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. That last line gives us a glimpse possibly into what the argument was about because the scribes and the Pharisees were notorious for always trying to discredit Jesus and anybody who followed him. The disciples' lack of success in this particular case became ammunition for their verbal attacks. Meanwhile, this whole argument's going on and everybody's missing what really matters. As the scribes heckled Jesus' disciples, they made it worse for the true victims in this scenario. While they're kicking up dust and, and pointing fingers and, and you know, they, they, got, they got all this stuff going on. Who got pushed to the sideline? Just a dad who brought his son to the healer. Let's look at his son for a minute. 
What do we know about this boy? We know that he's suffering. He's in bondage. He's literally possessed by an evil spirit. A demon has taken away the hope of a normal life. He has no voice. He has been silenced. He is literally being destroyed from the inside out. He is enslaved by a cruel master. What else do we know? What, what can we see in the middle of this struggle? I learned helping people um, whose houses burned in Paradise, California, that we should always look for treasures among the ashes. So there's this ash heap that is going on here. What can we find in the middle of that? We know that this boy has someone who loves him, a concerned father who is desperately, desperately trying to help him. His dad has risked a lot. I mean, public ridicule. Who knows what's going to happen? Everything was so unpredictable with his son. What are people going to think? What are they going to say? I mean, how did it affect them to hear people using his son's problems to try to win an argument? His dad wasn't giving up, though. I mean, that's one thing you've got to say for this father is that he was going to do whatever it took. And now he's in the presence of Jesus, the Messiah, the great physician. And Jesus' response probably caught them all off guard. I don't think it's what any of us would have expected either for him to say. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. And he replied, since he was a little boy. See, Jesus might be frustrated in this verse, maybe. But you see how he cares for this boy and his father. So the very first thing I want you to take note of, and, and you can even jot this down, is this. Jesus cares more about me than who's right or wrong. He cares more about me. He cares more about you than who is right or wrong. I think Jesus doesn't like it when we get sidetracked on issues that don't really matter and, and, and we miss what's most important. Instead of caring for the child in need, they were arguing about religion. And, you know, truthfully, I mean, if we're honest, it was really about themselves. Because it's not so much like, I really want to get the truth out of this. It's like, I want to prove that I'm right. Have you had arguments like that where we're not really caring about each other anymore? We're just trying to prove our point. We're not really listening anymore. We're just waiting to give our response. And we can forget that the value Jesus puts in, in people and in this case, in this child, and we can miss the heart of God. So another part of Mark chapter 10, it says, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. They're like, don't bother Jesus. He's doing something important, right? But it says Jesus 
when he saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on their heads, and blessed them. This is why it's so important the way that we treat children, the way that we treat those who are still kind of growing and they're vulnerable and and there's all kinds of, and this is why, honestly, why we're planning here at New Life, our very first inhuman trafficking one-day conference right here in uh, March of next year, 2022. We've all heard about human trafficking, right, and sexual exploitation and, and, you know, girls and boys, women and men who are being used for, for thrills and financial gain. And, and I think you're exactly probably like me and you think, I wish I could do something. I wish I knew what to do. And we feel powerless sometimes, right? But I want to tell you, there are things that we can do. Next Sunday after both services, we're looking for people who are ready to take a step that will begin to change things for those who are most vulnerable. I'm going to talk about ways that you can get involved. So this isn't just going to be a conference. This is going to be a, a catalyst, something to get things happening. And in small ways and big ways, there's something that you can do. And we can follow Jesus in caring for those who are hurting. Next Sunday, upstairs, both services, after both services. So here's this dad, right? And he brought his son to Jesus, but Jesus was on the mountain. So they're thinking maybe his disciples can help, right? But the nine disciples that had been left on the bottom of the mountain had tried to cast the demon out. And uh, it didn't work. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But Jesus later tells them, you know what? Um, These are the kind that they only come out by prayer. And some translations say prayer and fasting. So maybe they were just trying to do it by yelling out the demons or, you know, just trying to like use Jesus's name, but not really praying. I'm not sure. But the reality is, in this case, the man said they weren't able to help. And then I love what Jesus says. Jesus asks another question. He says, how long has this been happening? And number two, I want you to catch this. Jesus cares about how long I've suffered. Not just that I'm suffering now, not just that I'm in a bad place today, but how long has it been going on? God knows there are different lengths of painful seasons that we go through, right? A particular storm might only last for a day, but could still be incredibly devastating. And, um, but another storm can last for years. And the end of these storms can, can bring relief as we see the sun, sun come out. We can find hope again. But there are seasons that, that it just goes on and on. And we sometimes start to wonder, where's God? You know, is God up on a mountain somewhere? I mean, what are we supposed to do here? Does he still see us? Does he care how long I've been under this storm? And Psalm 13 really echoes those feelings. He says, oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul and sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand 
Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Have you ever been stuck? I mean, I think we all have. If nowhere else, we've been stuck in traffic, stuck trying to deal with medical experiences, stuck trying to deal with family issues. And maybe you've prayed the same thing that David prayed. (laughs) How long, O Lord? Jesus' question gives us a reason to hang on a little longer. (coughs) In Psalm 13, it actually ends with the writer clinging, clinging to his trust in God's unfailing love. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. This is not to diminish how, how hard an experience might be, but the, the boy's father hears Jesus say, how long? And he answers him. The, the boy's father describes a nightmare that they have endured for all of this kid's life since he was a boy. And he begs Jesus for help. And this experience has rocked his faith. Hear the pain in this dad's words. He says the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. He says, if you can. And what does Jesus say? Jesus asks him another question. He says, what do you mean, if I can? He says, anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And you hear the desperation in this father's voice? You see his faith hanging on by a thread? Help us if you can. And what question does Jesus ask? What do you mean if I, if I can? I love that. See, maybe you're facing something that seems impossible. You're saying to God, God, help us if you can. And Jesus' answer is a simple question. What do you mean if I can? And then, then Jesus injects faith into this dad. He says anything is possible if a person believes. It says the father instantly cried out. Something in Jesus' words sparked something inside of his faith. And he said, I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. I think this is a prayer that many of us have prayed. God, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. Hospital rooms and some of the times maybe we've pulled over the car and parked, just had these conversations with God. Say, God, I I believe in you, but I'm not seeing the, the answers that I was hoping for. I'm not seeing the results that I, that I prayed for. So God, help me overcome my unbelief. Remember, Jesus doesn't knock the guy. 
he doesn't knock him down and, and, and heap shame on him for having small amounts of faith. So number three is this. Hear this clearly. Jesus sees my faith even when it's tiny. He sees my faith even when it's as small as a mustard seed. Back in chapter one of Mark, the Lord says, if you have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. I don't think Jesus is trying to describe a new way of landscaping here. I think he's just trying to say, you know what? It's not so much the size of your faith, but the direction of your faith. It's not so much the size of your faith, but the size of who your faith is in. Obviously, the man had faith in Jesus because he had brought his son to Jesus. Sometimes faith, honestly, looks just like showing up. This man had showed up with his son saying, can you help me? And it says, when Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers and that was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes the boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him and the boy appeared to be dead. A number ran a murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus, I always love it when the Bible says, but God or but Jesus, because it's something they were not expecting. God's about to show up in a powerful way. It says, but Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. <laughs> it's almost like before the crowd gets you know, kind of way too big, or before, you know, they start arguing again, Jesus kicks the demon out. Two things to pay attention to here. To pay attention to here. First, Jesus says, come out of the child and never enter him again. He sets the boy free and makes it clear that he wants this, this new freedom to be permanent. He's not looking for a temporary fix or just to put a band-aid on this. He wants this boy to have a brand new existence. Second is this. After the boy is set free, everyone thinks he's dead. But Jesus helps him to his feet. See, Jesus, Jesus delivers the boy's life back to him. He delivers this boy back to his father. And he delivers him permanently. So number four, I want you to hear this. It's the most important thing is that Jesus is ready to deliver me. Jesus is ready to deliver you. There's a passage earlier that says, uh, suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy me? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered at that, the evil spirit screamed and threw the man into a convulsion and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they asked excitedly. It has such authority, even the evil spirits obey his orders. And the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. 
Just like for that boy, this is not a one-time shot. But Jesus is in the, in the business in a sense. I mean, not so much like a business, but he's, he's on a mission to set people free. And so let me tell you today that no matter what storm it is that you're going through, or what you've been experiencing, Jesus can deliver you. He sees you cares about you more than all of the arguments going on around you. He cares about you, your heart, your mind, your soul. He cares how long you've been going through it. And he will respond to your faith, even, even if it's so tiny that you can miss it. It's like a seed. And he's ready to set you free. So in just a minute, I want to pray a prayer. And I want to encourage you to pray your own prayers. I'm praying, just saying, God, here's the area of my life. Here's this addiction. Here's this struggle. Here's this, this pain that I've been going through, this storm that I've been facing. God, would you please, would you please set me free from this today? I mean, it's, not a, it's probably not a you know, demon possession like what this boy was going through, but, but it's still this pain and this struggle and this kind of bondage in our life like, my mom said one time, bondage is bondage. It doesn't matter what kind it is. So if you would like to experience the freedom of Christ, I encourage you to pray this with me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for what you did in this boy's life, in this, in this dad's life as well, as he got to see his son totally set free. And God, I pray for each and every one of us with the struggles and the the kind of dark clouds that sometimes hover over us. Maybe it's depression or anxiety, or maybe it's just overwhelming fears. Or maybe it's pornography or chemical addiction. God, whatever it is today, I pray that you would reach into our hearts, our minds, our lives, and speak freedom to everyone. God, that you would break the chains that hold us back. And God, that we would truly be able to live in your freedom. In the name of Jesus, I pray this, God, today. Set, set us free, God, from these things that oppress us and hold us down, and let us be able to walk freely with you, Jesus. We love you, God. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So go today and walk in the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. All right? Thank you so much. God bless you.